Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Purple Stars podcast. I'm Sarah, your host, and we have someone on the show who has changed so many lives. She is the founder of the Gentle Barn Foundation, an amazing speaker, author, celebrated animal welfare advocate, and animal communicator. Please welcome Ellie Lex and her dog. <laughs> Hi, Ellie. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being on our show. Um, we are such a big fan of The Gentle Barn and everything that you have achieved and changed in this life. I'm sure that most of our people in our audience already know about The Gentle Barn, but for those who maybe are not yet aware of it, could you maybe take us back to 1999 where everything started? Yes. Well, actually, things started a lot longer before that. Um, the Gentle Barn was my dream since I was seven years old. Mm -hmm. So it started when I was a small child living in the Midwest and the East Coast, growing up with the woods and the lakes by my houses, watching tadpoles turn to frogs, finding salamanders and bunny rabbits in the woods, bringing home lost or injured or orphaned animals when I found them needing help. Um, dealing with my parents' frustration <laughs> at not wanting to be in those mouths. Um, and kind of saying that when I'm seven years old, uh, since I was seven years old, saying that when I grow up, I'm going to have a big place full of animals and show the world how beautiful they are. And so it was a dream of mine and not just a passing dream. It was something that I thought of every single day. I went to sleep, envisioning what the general barn would feel like. I would sit in class and draw on my notebooks and the desk and my arms what the gentle barn would look like. I talked about it to anyone that would listen, but I had no idea how to start it. I had no idea what the first step would even be. So I went many, many years without realizing that dream until 25 years ago in 1999, I discovered a petting zoo I had never seen before and very nosy when it comes to animals. I went in to see what was going on there and it was terrible. There was so much abuse and neglect, and I was absolutely sick to my stomach. And running for the door to get out of there, there was a very, very old and dying goat uh, by the exit. And she looked me in the eyes. She, she asked me for help, and she stopped me in my tracks. And so I returned her gaze. And at the time, I lived in a little house with a half-acre backyard. So I thought, I could bring home a goat. So I went to find the owner. And to make a very long story short, the longer, richer, fuller version is written in my first book, My Gentle Barn, Creating a Sanctuary Where Animals Heal and Children Learn to Hope. But to make a long story short, I ended up bringing Mary home and many, many more other animals and realizing, oh my God, I just started my dream. So um, there's two components to the gentle barn. It's not just saving and rehabilitating animals but it's also partnering with those animals when they're ready to heal people. And so as soon as I realized I had just started my dream, I opened the phone book and started calling around to probation camps, drug and alcohol rehab centers, domestic violence shelters, homeless shelters, foster agencies, and saying, I've got these incredible animals that all share the same stories as your clients, bring them, bring them out to heal in my barnyard. And they did. So that's what we do. We help animals and people come together and find themselves in the barnyard. I really got goosebumps the first time I read the story because I am deeply touched by the idea and also what, how you realized creating the circle of healing. Like you heal 
so they can heal and they heal again. And it's, it, it's just so beautiful. Like it, that is really like a full circle. I read on your website, you have hosted more than 950,000 people, which is a yes. lot. And you have changed so many lives. I wonder, could you share one particularly heartwarming story of someone whose life was changed by their experience at the Gentleborn? I'm sure there are so many stories, but maybe one story that comes straight to your mind. Oh my God, there's so many. Um, there's so many. One recent story was of a woman during the pandemic that started watching a baby cow that we had rescued. Um, this baby cow, his name is John Lewis Thunderheart, and he was actually born inside a slaughterhouse and raised in my house to resuscitate him. And I became his mom. And when he finally joined the other cows at nine months old, um, there was a woman who during the pandemic was going through struggles of her own. She had cancer and she had to have surgeries and procedures. And because of the pandemic, she wasn't allowed to have any visitors or family or friends with her. So she was completely alone in this hospital bed for a really long time. And the only thing that she had was her phone. So she was searching social media and she found the gentle barn and she started watching John Lewis's recovery. And she was so inspired by how sick he was and all the trials and tribulations he had gone through in his life and how resilient he was at attempting to get better every single day, that it inspired her to go through her own recovery. And she promised herself that once this was all over and we were reopened, that she would come and meet this cow that ushered her through her diagnosis, her surgeries and her recovery. And sure enough, once we reopened after the pandemic, here comes this woman and she had a very teary eyed and beautiful reunion with John Lewis, hugging him, crying into his shoulder. And basically that good cry in John Lewis's embrace washed away the pandemic, washed away everything that she had been through and allowed her to be completely restored to move forward with her life, with her new um, health because she had made it. So beautiful. And it's, what you are looking for, right? To give hope. And it's, and I think it's not just that you give hope, but um, I can imagine that a lot of people who didn't have a good response with traditional therapy also come to you and looking for hope, looking for answers and solutions. And I know there are so many people who end up healing when they come to the gentle barn. What do you think is different or what lands different in their heart and in their soul and in their bodies when they're in the gentle barn compared to conventional therapy? Listen, I think conventional therapy is wonderful. I have my own therapist and I look forward to our sessions, but traditional therapy is about talking. And so if you know what your trauma is and you're brave enough to dissect it and look for the experiences and lessons that lie within it, to adapt that to your life moving forward, it works and it's beautiful. But if you have a trauma that happened at an early age, so you're not even aware of your trauma, or you are not wanting to talk about it or be vulnerable to dive back into those really, really painful moments of your life, then traditional therapy kind of stalls out because if you're not willing to talk or you don't know what to talk about, or 
you're grieving the loss of a loved one. And so there's really nothing to talk about. You're just in pain. Traditional therapy might not be um, sufficient for healing. And we get a lot of people that come to the gentle barn that don't want to talk. They just want to feel better. They want to connect. They want to get love like they've never had before, but they're sick and tired of talking. And so that's what they can do at the gentle barn. They don't have to talk. They don't have to divulge their story. They don't have to dive into their pain. They just simply need to embrace one of our cows, find their heartbeat and slow down their own to match it rise and fall with the cows breathing, allow the cow to wrap their neck around this person. They can weep into their shoulder or they could just close their eyes in meditation. It washes away their thoughts and their worries. It roots them in present time. It grounds them and centers them. And it gives them the feeling of hope and healing, humbleness and vulnerability that is sometimes hard to find with words. It shuts down that left brain and it opens that right brain. It opens up the intuition, it opens up the heart, it opens up those connections to feel another being's love without words. And it offers a completely different style of healing. And I've seen many, many, many miracles at our Missouri location, because the General Barn is a national organization located in, Los, in Santa Clarita, California, um, Nashville, Tennessee, and St. Louis, Missouri. And one of our cows in St. Louis, he and his five siblings were actually at a slaughterhouse. And his name is Chico. He crashed through three fences and led the way to freedom for his brothers. Unfortunately, at the end of the day, they had nowhere to go. And so they were ended up, they got caught and rounded up and sent back to the slaughterhouse. But by then the community wanted their freedom and demanded it. And through a big set of circumstances, we were able to, to, uh, to rescue them and to open a gentle barn for them. And Chico is amazing. And just recently, we had a woman that had lost her son in a tragic accident. And traditional therapy was not working. Talking about it wasn't working. But she was in agony and did not know how to move forward with her life. And she came out to the gentle barn driving several miles, uh, several hours away to, to get to us. And she rested in that beautiful embrace with Chico. Chico wrapped his neck around her. She held him for an hour and he held her back. And afterwards, she said that she felt a kind of hope and healing that she didn't expect. And it restored her. It was like her son was hugging her. It was like there was still a life to live. It was like she was feeling connected. And she was able to move forward with her life. And we see that over and over and over again at the gentle barn. I just got goosebumps when you said it was as if she was hugging her son. Because yeah. my first thought was probably her son guided her to the gentle barn to get the healing or at least the first steps of the healing that she needs. Yes. So it's, it's so beautiful. And I'm wondering, you have helped so many animals to heal. Is there any advice you can give to people who are rescuing animals? Like in the US, it's really amazing because a lot of people are open to adopting. And, but I see it with a lot of people, you know, they bring home a pet that is wounded and that has trauma. And do you have an advice for people who don't yet have that much experience? How can they identify the triggers and how can they help the pet to heal from the wounds and also to build trust again? I have a lot to say about that. I want to start by saying 
people look at me with three locations, 200 animals, and they say, oh, I wish I could do what you're doing. And the truth is that everyone can do what I'm doing because sanctuary doesn't have to look one specific way. If you have room in your heart and home for another animal, adopting them instead of buying them is providing sanctuary. Um, responding to someone's pleas and cries for help in the street or in your neighborhood, just stopping the car and helping an animal, getting them to an agency, getting them out of the rain, putting down food and water for someone who's hungry, that is sanctuary. Um, and then of course, people who go the extra mile to either have an adoption agency by bringing in one, and it could be bringing in one animal at a time. You know, you could go to the shelter, take one animal at a time, restore them to health and wellness, find a home for them, and then do it all over again, one animal at a time. Or you can have an organization where you have 10, 30, 50 animals at a time, or you can be a sanctuary like us where obviously we have 200. Um, but it doesn't have to look a single, a certain way. And what I would tell people is don't get hung up in comparing yourself to other people and thinking that your version is not good enough because saving any life anywhere at any time is worthy and it's important. So just respond to who's around you, respond to who's around you, help those that are in front of you and do anything that you can to serve, no matter what that looks like or how small or big the vision, it doesn't matter. As far as bringing someone into the house that's like injured or scared or wounded, I have a few things to say. First of all, an animal communication reading with that animal to find out what they've been through and what they need is really, really helpful. So I'm an animal communicator and I do remote animal communication sessions for people around the world. A lot of times, those of us that rescue animals, what's missing is their backstory. We don't know what they've been through. We're just looking at an animal and that animal might be the result of a lot of trauma that we are not privy to have witnessed. Animal communication can fill in those blanks. Getting a remote reading, you can find out what's happened to your animal until the day you met them. And then what are they feeling and what do they need? And then we can work out a plan to move forward based on what they're wanting. The other thing that I wanna say is animals need time. A lot of people have like this fantasy of getting an animal and violins and harps are gonna play and it's gonna be love at first sight and you're gonna live happily ever after. And sometimes it does work that way, but sometimes it doesn't because of what that animal has gone through. And sometimes the animal just needs time to get used to your household, the other members, the routine, to open, to wanna be vulnerable again. They might be scared to fall in love because they've been dumped. So they need to work up the courage to let you into their hearts. And so don't rush things. Don't, don't think that it needs to be perfect right away. I worked with a dog for four years one time. This dog would growl and show his teeth and act, act absolutely vicious. And I said, that's okay. I'll wait until you're ready for me. And it took him four mm -hmm. years. But then he decided to trust me and he decided to heal and recover. And I ultimately found him a beautiful home where he lived the rest of his life in someone's bed, in someone's embraces. And I think that there's a lot of adoption agencies or even private people that would have euthanized him long before because they would have said like, this is taking too long, this is impossible, he's dangerous. But I didn't say any of those things. I just said, take as long as you need. And he took four years, but then he finally healed. So anyone and everyone can heal.
They just need the amount of time that they need. The other thing that I'll say is a lot of times people take in wounded or troubled animals and they rely on other experts for suggestions. They go to trainers, they go to veterinarians. And I'm not saying that some trainers and some veterinarians aren't wonderful, but what I would say most of all is trust your own instincts. You know, I've heard crazy stories like a trainer saying, oh my God, that's an aggressive dog. You should euthanize them. And of course the people don't and they end up being a wonderful animal. So some experts are give wonderful advice and some experts can't see the animal in front of them and they're just going to slap a label onto them and it's not going to be the right advice. So trust your own instincts and do what you think is right and don't necessarily hand over your power to someone else just because they're the expert in the room. Um, and then I guess the last thing I would say is spend some time shutting off your phone switching off your computer, switching off the television, and just sitting in a comfortable place. You don't have to pet the animal to bond with them. You don't have to hold the animal to connect with them. Just be in the same space as them, wherever they're comfortable being. And you can look in them in the eye. You can talk to them. Let them know all the wonderful things you think about them, that they're beautiful and they're brave and they're strong and that you're, you've waited for them and you're so lucky to have them. And then paint the picture of what their life is going to look like. Give them some hope. Let them know that you're going to go for long walks and you're going to take them to the beach or the snow or the mountains, that you're going to love them for the rest of their lives and that you're sorry for what happened to them before, but you're going to spend every single day for the rest of their lives making it up to them. And let them know why you love them. Those conversations matter because I really truly believe that animals understand every word that we say. Mm. I love it. It's just so much wealth of wisdom you're sharing. There's so much I want to say and also ask. I have so many extra questions now. So <laughs> one thing I want, one thing I want to say, like what help, really helps me when it comes to any kind of animal, whether it's someone with trauma or, you know, or, you know, getting a new dog or babysitting someone else's dog, always humanizing the situation and thinking if I was moving to someone else's home, oh, how long would it take me to feel comfortable? Or do I consider four years after having been dumped by my mother in a like, or whoever, would I, would four years sound like a long time? So I think sometimes taking that situation and transferring it to a human example really helps. And I love what you said about it doesn't just need holding them and patting them. I see it as a relationship. If I am starting to be in a relationship with someone, whether it's romantic or a friendship or a neighbor, I talk and I say what I appreciate about them. I acknowledge what they feel. I take time getting to know them. And I love what you said about the animal communication part, because when we get to know someone, it's also about getting to know what was before that. So we can be more mindful of their wounds and their triggers and know, okay, if I do, um, I don't know, if I, if we walk in the dark and we pass um, a black Labrador, he will get a freak out because something happened with a black Labrador in the dark. And just knowing and then to help 
him or her to build new positive associations and know next time the situation can be saved. So I think um, whatever helps me a lot is like to say, if this dog or this cat or any other animal would be a person, how would I approach it? I think that really often helps. And um, I would love to talk and continue about talking about the animal communication. For those who it's who are still new to that topic, could you walk us a little bit through? Because I know you do it online, offline. You talk to animals alive who are past. Uh, yeah, so I know a lot of people love this topic, but maybe to, to the ones that are new to it, um, share a little bit about it. Absolutely. So I was born an animal communicator. I was born talking to animals. I thought it was totally normal. I thought everyone else did it. Um, in the, week, the woods and the lakes, if there was an animal that was in distress, they would literally call me. I'd be in my house playing in my room and all of a sudden I would hear the call in my mind of someone needing help. And I'd say, oh, I'm coming. And I'd run down the street and there'd be a bird that fell out of her nest. And I'd say, oh, I'll bring you home. Thanks for calling me. I thought that was totally normal. Um, I was very surprised in elementary school and later high school, uh, seeing the people around me. Not only do they not have that gift, but they were teasing me for mine. Um, and it was super confusing. Um, in doing dog and cat rescue prior to the gentle barn, and then the last 25 years, uh, founding the gentle barn, uh, animal communication has been invaluable because I've been able to, like we talked about before, ask the animals their backstories, ask them what they want, what they're feeling. It's really been invaluable in welcoming new animals because I know exactly what their story is, what they're dealing with and what they need and want so I can fulfill their every wish even better. It's also been amazing at end of life decisions when there's an animal that is very ill are they in pain? Are they not in pain? Do they want to go? Do they want more time? Uh, do they have a bucket list? Do they have things that they want to experience before they go? Humans typically have the ability to express those desires, but animals don't. And so hearing straight from their mouth what they're feeling and what they want um, allows us to fulfill their every wish, but also take some of that heavy weight of the decision off our shoulders because mm -hmm. we're hearing straight from the animal what they want. And then it takes away that guilt of like, oh God, am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing the right thing? Um, during the pandemic, my lovely and supportive husband, who's also the CEO and co-founder of The Gentle Barn, uh, built me a website because over the years, he's always been encouraging me to do animal communication for other people. He's been saying like, you have this gift and other people want to bond more closely with their animals. You should do this with other people. So finally, during the pandemic, um, he built me a website and it's ellielax.com. And um, basically, animal communication is just intuition. So I'm imagining that you've had the experience where the phone rings and before looking at the phone, you know who it is, or you're talking to someone and they're smiling and saying all the right things, but the hair on the back of your neck is standing up because somewhere inside of you, what they're saying is not matching what you're really getting from them. Um, we've all had those kind of instincts, right? So animal communication is just an extension of that. It's, um, being able to hear and feel in your body and mind what another being is transmitting to you. Um, I, of course, can talk to animals in person, but my practice is typically remotely. So all I need is a picture of the animal, their name, age, gender, how long you've had them, and who they live with. 
And then from there, what I do is I start the animal communication session with a meditation where I'm feeling into my body and I'm feeling into my own thoughts and feelings so that I know what's mine and what's not mine. And then I go into the communication and I, I pose questions with the animal looking at their picture. Um, and I wait for the answers to come. And I think we all can do this. I think every single solitary living being on this planet operates with intuition. We've all seen a school of fish. It's not a leader and then a followers. The school of fish is literally moving in the same direction at the same time. It's because they're one mind. They're connected intuitively and they're literally moving in tandem because they're all thinking the same direction at the same time. Um, gazelles or prey animals needing to go to the river to drink. Intuitively, they know when it's safe and they know when it's dangerous. Um, their very survival depends on intuition. And I think Aboriginal cultures and native cultures operated with intuition and communication as well. They talked to the deceased, they talked to animals, they could feel the living energy from trees and plants. And somewhere along the line in Western civilization, we've lost that ability. And it's about um, needing someone to connect us to God in a church or needing someone to connect us with knowledge in a school. And it's all about, no, 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 don't trust yourself trust someone else, listen to someone else. Someone else is always the expert. And I think in a way, because of that conditioning, we have all lost a part of ourselves, if not completely all of ourselves. And now we just give over the authority to everyone else around us. And we don't know how we feel and we don't know what we want. And we don't even know what an instinct is if it hits us in the head. And I don't think that we need to learn how to do animal communication or practice intuition, I think that we need to remember. We need to remember who we are and we need to open ourselves to connect with every living being because everything on this planet is alive. And when we acknowledge that and we practice it, and also animal communication is a muscle, right? It's like meditation is a muscle or exercising your body is a muscle. You're not gonna be great at it the first day, but when you practice more and more and more and more, um, you see validations of your conversations, like, oh my God, it was really true. Um, and you really trust the answers that come back to you. You can start developing that muscle and getting connected. I will say that in my opinion, and you could completely disagree. I mean, I hope that you don't mind me saying this. In my experience, having a daily meditation practice and, uh, um, and practicing a plant-based diet really, really super helps the intuition and the communication. I think that the energy of violence could make it harder to connect to others and not being able to sit still in the quiet and connect to your higher self also kind of impedes that kind of intuition. So for those of you that want to be more intuitive or want to talk to your animals, I would highly advise exploring a plant-based diet and creating a daily meditation practice because those two things will really help open you up. So I totally agree with what you're saying. I think meditation in whatever way people meditate, some might do it, you know, on the beach, some might go in the woods, some might just do it in their bed. But I think sitting in stillness, that's the only way we can truly reconnect with the whispers of our intuition. Because as you said, it's about remembering, it's about reconnecting. And when there's so much noise happening, 
it's sometimes really hard to hear the whispers of the intuition because intuition is not screaming. And that's why it's really important to get that stillness. And um, so I personally, I eat, I would say around like 80% plant-based and 20% the rest. But I also know, and I really can feel it. And I see this with a lot of my clients who are artists, interestingly. And I think especially with um, composing music, intuition is so important. Uh, around those times, they really make sure they eat plant-based and also less sugar and less gluten. Yes. Because um, all the um, creative channels or intuitive channels, whatever you want to call them, they get blurry and they get blocked with um, alcohol, nicotine, sugar, uh, you know, like heavy meals, anything that's greasy. So food is very, very important to reconnect to our intuition and also stillness. And one thing I also find it's uh, what you said, it's about seeing us as, as a muscle, which we build in trust. And it can start with little things where uh, what you said earlier, oh, I felt someone was about to call, or I felt I should reach out to someone, or, oh, maybe I should go on a different route to work. And then you find out the road was blocked. You know, it can be with little things. And then it's also easier when it comes to bigger decisions to actually fully trust in the intuition, especially in situations where maybe the conventional advice would be completely different. I completely um, agree. Before we dive into more into intuition, I would love to know what are some of the common questions people want to know when it comes to animal communication? Like, you know, like, uh, like I, I'm sure there are a lot of questions that are common, whether the animal is alive or dead? Well, the most popular is people that have lost a loved one and they are just grieving and mourning. And, you know, one minute the animal's there and the next minute they're gone. And sometimes that animal is their soulmate and they just, mm. it's so painful. And, um, I love to do all kinds of animal communication, behavior issues, health issues, even lost animals. But I have to say that talking to animals that are on the other side is my absolute favorite thing to do in the whole wide world because I know what it means to that person to be able to reconnect. And I can talk to that animal and relay memories and messages. And then now all of a sudden that grieving person is laughing hysterically because they forgot the sound of their animal's voice or they forgot how they played with that one toy. A lot of us with animals that are older, we remember them old, we remember them ill, and we forget what they were like when they were a puppy. But that animal is not going to forget. That animal is going to be like, look how fast I ran, and look how I love the snow, and look at my favorite toy, how we played together. And they're going to go, oh my God, I forgot that. And so it reconnects them to who that animal really is. And they can relive memories and they can laugh and they can cry and they can realize that that animal had never left them at all. That animal is right with them. That animal just had to step out of their body. Um, I have animals who are saying like, I'm with them all the time. And so I'll say, okay, give me proof. And the animal will show me the person singing a particular song or the person sitting on their bed studying with books all around them or that person, you know, taking a walk by themselves and crying. And the person will go, oh my God, that's exactly what I'm doing. So the animal like literally gives proof that they're in the room with them, watching them. Um, so it makes the people feel like they haven't lost them. It just helps the person 
uh, reconfigure the relationship. It's not a relationship to open your eyes and see them. It's a relationship to close your eyes and feel them. And I think animal communication with a lost loved one really helps people do that. And I know what that means because I have gone through loss that I thought I was going to die. And it was animal communication that was able to get me through that grief. And so doing that for other people and their animals is a true, true honor. Um, the other questions people ask that's as common um, as talking to animals that have transitioned is um, end of life decisions. Um, I did a reading just last night for an animal that is diagnosed with cancer and the people want to know like, is she in pain? Is she suffering? Does she want to stay? Does she want to go? How can, how can we support her? And the dog was saying, no, I'm, I'm not suffering. I'm not in pain. I'm actually quite comfortable. I do have a headache, um, but I love my beautiful naps and sleeping on cold floor really, really helps. So if you can like provide some cold surface for my head, that will help. And she said, and don't worry about me. You're going to take care of me beautifully. I'm not afraid. I'm not worried. Um, we have more time together, so it's not going to be fast. And you know what? I know I used to be very playful and very active when I was young, but slow walks are okay. We can just walk slow. And it, it gave so much comfort to the person to know what the animal wanted and needed and was feeling. And then she could move forward with this horrendous diagnosis, knowing that the animal has what they need and knowing that if circumstances change, she can always book another session and we can do another check-in. Um, and then people call me with um, behavioral issues, health issues. I, I had this one dog, the veterinarian, the dog uh, was in terrible pain and the veterinarian was saying that it was a spinal issue and wanted to go in and have surgery. And just before the surgery, they said, oh, we better, we better talk to Ellie first. And so I did a reading and the dog was saying, no, it's not my spine, it's my pancreas. Mm -hmm. And so the people called the vet and told him that. And he was like, no, the, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. It's the spine. And so the people called me and I said, get a second opinion. It is not the spine. It's the pancreas. And so they got a second opinion and some more diagnostics. And sure enough, it was the pancreas. And that reading avoided. Can you imagine if the yeah. doctor had opened up that dog and operated on their spine? Mm -hmm. So lots of health issues, lots of behavioral issues, you know, people who have a dog and they want to know if they want a companion. Um, they have two dogs that are fighting and they don't know why. Um, I had a client who had a cat for a number of years and just, and then got a puppy and the cat moved out of the house and refused to come home. And through animal communication, I was able to negotiate with not really the cat. The cat was like, I'm never coming home. But then I asked to talk to the puppy. <laughs> yeah. This cat was mad, <laughs> really mad. Um, but then I talked to the puppy and the puppy didn't have a mean bone in his body. He didn't want to hurt the cat, but he was super curious. And every time the cat came near, he would run after the cat, not to hurt him, but he wanted to smell him and check him out. And so I told the puppy, listen, every time you run towards the cat, the cat runs away, right? And the puppy said, yeah. And I said, how about you just lay down and let the cat come to you? And the dog said, okay, I'll try it. I'll do anything. I want to be friends with the cat. And sure enough, for the next few weeks, um, every time the dog saw the puppy, he lay down. Uh, sorry, every time the cat saw, every time the, <laughs> the puppy, every time the puppy saw the cat, he would lay down instead of pursue the cat. And sure enough, the cat started coming over to him and now they're best friends. Wow. 
I'm wondering, because you said you also have um, people coming with behavioral issues. I've seen this a lot in my work, both as a coach and the founder of Purple Stars, how pets tend to absorb and also mirror our own stress, fear, anxiety, uh, nervousness, and it manifests with pets differently. For some, it's physically allergies, digestive issues. For some, it might even be cancer. While for others, it's more behavioral, like separation, anxiety, excessive barking. What messages do pets have when they mirror something to their families and say, hey, I want you to see X, Y, Z. Like, what are the messages that they sometimes come up with? I have the perfect story for exactly what you're talking about. I had a client that reached out and said, can you please talk to my dog? She seems really, really anxious. She has anxiety. I don't know how to help her. I talked to the dog and the dog was like, oh, no, there's nothing wrong with me. But my, my person, she gets so stressed out. She is working with so much. She has so much to take care of and so much to do. She races around at 90 miles an hour. And in those moments, I'm telling her, stop what you're doing and just hold me so I can calm you down. And there was nothing wrong with the dog. The dog was saying that the person was a mess and that when she started shaking, it's not because she needed anything. It's because she was telling the person to stop what they were doing so the dog could help the person. Um, I also want to say that, like, listen, I think that animals can be our soulmates. I think animals can be our healers and teachers. I think some animals have a lot of wisdom to share. But I also want to make sure that we're saying that animals are also here for their own reasons. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people that talk about how, like, oh, animals are just here for us, to mirror us. No, animals are here for their own reasons, for their own journeys, for their own life lessons, uh, for their own healing. Um, and when we're lucky enough to share space with them, then we get to share life with them. Um, so I just, I don't know, in this conversation, I don't want to kind of come across like all animals are just here for us. They're here for their own reasons. And then sometimes they get to teach us lessons along the way. It's like with us humans, right? We're all here for a purpose. We're all here on our own journey and we are here to spend time together. Sometimes we teach each other lessons. Sometimes we mirror each other. I think it's just like, you know, we are one. And then uh, it's just about being mindful and being aware and making sure that we can contribute to each other's journeys in whatever way it is. And a big part that you are contributing to our journey today is talking about intuition. You are, you wrote another book. Can you share whatever you can already share? Because it's going to be published in May. Um, I'm very excited. Like, can you give us a glimpse? What is, what are the nuggets of wisdom you're sharing with your readers? Yeah. So my second book, it's called Cow Hug Therapy, How the Gentle Barn Animals Taught Me about life, death, and everything in between. And um, it, the publishing date is May 21st, but it is available for pre-order right now as we speak, wherever books are sold. Um, the book is about the amazing, extraordinary matriarch cows and other animals at the Gentle Barn that have taught me my greatest lessons. Um, they have shown me how to celebrate birth. They've shown me how to grieve through death. They've shown me about self-care. 
they've taught me about meditation and forgiveness um, and gratitude. Oh my God, they have so much to teach us about gratitude. Um, each chapter is about a different amazing animal and their story and their recovery and their messages for us of how to be better people. Um, it's really interesting because if we look at every other animal species, they all make time to meditate every single day. Every single one of them. They live in present time. Um, they operate through gratitude, not complaint. They practice self-care and they sit in the stillness every single day, every single day. We're really the only species that live in this high-tech, fast-paced world and we know how to have and we know how to do, but we have forgotten how to be. Mm. And I think that that's one of the greatest lessons animals can teach us is how to be. Be present. Be in the moment. Be grounded. Be still. Do you think that comes a lot from, despite, of course, what society expects us to do and how they picture, how they portray the perfect picture of us being workaholics and more and further and faster. But I see it as a, a lot comes from fear. You know, the fear of like, if I, if I am meditating, what will come up to be like the fear of being what is the fear of, uh, as with a lot of people who see their self-worth tied to achievements. They're mm. often scared to slow down because in the moment they are just being, you know, do people still love them? So what I do with my clients when they say, oh, I can't sit in stillness, I often look at, despite it also being a practice, I also look at what are the blocks in them? What are the fears? What do they associate with being? Because often they associate something negative. And I always say like, you are the most productive when you're just like meditating and sitting. <laughs> Uh, you know, recharging, it's amazing. What do you think is one of the blocks that people have with meditating and sitting in stillness? Um, well, I think the biggest block that I find is just the monk, you know, s switching off the monkey chatter. Our brains with, you know, living in just such a fast paced, high tech world, our brains are going all the time. And I think that our brains have kind of run away with us, right? Um, we're not the master of our thoughts. Sometimes the thoughts are the master of us. And I think that that's what leads to fear and, it, what, and what, it leads to, you know, having emotions that we don't know what to do with or having, not knowing how to feel good and not knowing how to be happy and having anxiety and having depression. It's because our thoughts are running away with us. So one of the perks of meditation is we can learn how to control our thoughts so that we are thinking our thoughts instead of our thoughts running away with us. And so it is hard in the beginning. It's hard to stop your thoughts. It's hard to sit in the, sit in the stillness. It's hard to stop thinking. But the more we meditate, again, it's a muscle. The more we meditate, the more we can start being aware of our thoughts. And then when we think of them, just go, okay, that's fine. Thank you very much. Dismiss it and go back to the stillness. And we can train our brain to be in the stillness. And I really relate to what you were saying because, you know, for, I'm also a workaholic. Um, I, I worked 24 years without 
pretty much a lunch break and without days off and without vacations. Like I'm happiest when I'm at work because I'm living on purpose and I'm living my dream and I love what I do. And I found myself really struggling on my days off because it's like, well, then who am I and what am I doing? And I remember having this internal dialogue with myself, trying to figure out, well, who I am, who am I separate to the gentle barn? Like I have the gentle barn, I have the work, I have the animals that I am blessed to know and work with. I have the people that are coming for healing. I have my staff. We understand that, but who am I without it? Like, do I have an identity without the gentle barn? And when I first started having that conversation with myself, I would have panic attacks. Like I felt like I couldn't breathe. Like, what do you mean? I'm no one without the gentle barn. But I've had that conversation with myself for a number of years now. And I've gotten to the point where I get it now. I am, I love the gentle barn and I want to spend the rest of my life working at the gentle barn but I am someone without the gentle barn. I am someone. And so then the question is, well, then who am I? And that was not a quick answer. That was something that I had to really work on um, through meditation, through talking to my angels and guides, through walks in nature. Um, who am I? And I think that that's one of the reasons why we're all here. We're all here to discover who we are and why we've come. And I think that those are two things that we know as children but very quickly get beaten out of us through, you know, whatever, religion, school, our family of origin, tough not, you know, when life is tough, um, we can get diverted from knowing who we are and why we've come. And so I think part of this journey is to rediscover as adults who we are and why we've come. And once we've discovered that, oh my God, that's paradise. That is freedom and that's paradise. And I've begun to start discovering who I am without the things that I do. And it's wonderful. So, you know, little things like who are we when we're at a restaurant and the server comes? Are we polite? Do we say please and thank you? Are we demanding? Are we entitled? Who are we when we see someone in need, whether it's an animal or a human? Do we give them food? Do we give them money? Do we find a way to help? Or do we walk do we walk or drive past and pretend they're not even there? Um, who are we when someone around us needs help? Do we help or do we ignore? Who are we when no one's looking? Are we someone that lies because we can get away with it? Or are we, are we someone that always stands in the truth? Um, God, I think those things are so important. And I talk about that in my book. You know, those are the real questions that we should be asking ourselves, not how do I look? What is my belt size? How much jewelry do we have? How much money do we have? Those are all superficial things that at the end of the day will never give us gratitude. Those things could be a reflection of how we feel inside, right? If we feel wonderful about ourselves, then those things can be a reflection. But I think when we focus on those things and not the things that are inside of us, that's when we can feel lost. And so I think we really need to know who we are in the face of people in need, in the face of people that are helping us. When people aren't looking, we need to know who we are in those moments. And, and then 
it's easy to sit in the stillness and meditation because we're comfortable with ourselves. I so resonate with what, with what you said, and I'm sure a lot of people in our audience love it too, because many attach their work or even being a mother, being a wife, whatever it is, but something to I am. And so, and I love the question, introduce yourself without telling me what you work. It's such yes. a, such a fundamental really question. Yes. <laughs> it's really hard to do. I remember, I think around seven years ago, I was like mid twenties and I was sitting there and I was like thinking, man, I love coaching so much. It would break my heart if one day I wouldn't be a coach anymore for whatever reason, because you don't know how paths, uh, you know, where they're going. And it was just right before my birthday and I sat in meditation and I journaled and I journaled something that really helped me to take a lot of pressure off my work title. Because I came to an understanding, I'm here to bring more love. You know, it's to help people to love themselves and to make animals feel loved and help and you know, love is not just for work. It's what you said. Like when I'm at the supermarket, if someone is really nice and I'm telling the person working there, thank you for working today. Thank you for being kind. It's also that I'm in my purpose. It is sharing love. Or when I'm smiling at the stranger, or when I, when there's an older woman, and I'm opening the door for her, you know, like all these little things. And so whenever I do it, I'm like, yeah, I am living my purpose like even on an off day. And it's something that has, ha has really helped me to loosen the grip on putting a title on it because I know I can be in my purpose, whether it's as a dog mom or maybe a future mother of kids, as a coach, or even if I might in 20 years do something completely different because who knows what happens, but that it's not my my vocation is not being a coach, but my vocation is to help people feel more love and for that being happier, being healthier and being more successful in whatever way I'm going to do it. And so I love what you said, like, who am I in those moments when no one is watching and who am I without my job? I think it's something so important to reflect on it and also allow the answers to change for over time. Yeah. And usually who we are is something that would remain true no matter what we're doing. So I might be the founder of the Gentle Barn and an animal communicator, but who I am, I care deeply about others, whether it's an animal mm -hmm. or a human. If someone's in front of me and they're in pain, I'm going to want to help them. If they're hungry, I'm going to want to feed them. If they're talking, I'm going to want to listen. I care very deeply about others. I'm generous. I'm kind. I'm thoughtful. I'm creative. And those qualities about me are going to be evergreen. In other words, I'm going to apply those qualities through the gentle barn or through my animal communication. But if I go bag groceries, I'm going to apply those qualities through bagging groceries, right? And I'm imagining it's the same for you. You are here to help people and you've come up with a way to do it through coaching and through this podcast. But if your life changed and you were a rental manager, you exactly. would still be helping people through that capacity. Yes. And I loved saying we stay the same in our core. I think it's just being true to ourselves. And that leads me to my next question. I often get asked, how do I know if my intuition is, the, is communicating to me or my fear? 
Mm. Like, and I do think it's a question that's a great continuing from being true to our core. What helps you to distinguish those two voices? Oh, that's a really wonderful question. Um, I like to use my belly as a compass, like, like to feel into my body. And I will tell you that when I am in fear, my belly will feel like a tight knot. But when I'm in intuition, my belly will feel relaxed and it will feel good in my body. So I definitely pay very close attention to how my body is feeling. Um, also, I find that fear comes with all kinds of worried thoughts. Well, what if this and what if that and what if this and what if that? Intuition doesn't come with those worried thoughts. Intuition feels good. It feels good in my body. It feels good in my mind. It feels good imagining kind of the end of the event. Everything about it feels good. Um, I remember once we, uh, we had gone somewhere as a family and we were driving on the freeway, the hour drive to get home. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, for no reason, I swerved off the freeway, got off the off ramp. And my husband was like, what are you doing? We are nowhere near home. And I said, I don't know yet. And he goes, well, do a U-turn and get back on the freeway. And I said, nope, no, I can't. And I took a right and then I took a left and he goes, what are you doing? And I said, I don't know yet. And he said, well, turn around and get on the freeway. And I said, I can't. And I drove down the street and sure enough, there was a dog that had gotten hit by a car. The onlookers were on the sidewalk laughing, which is so inhumane. I don't even know how to digest that. Stopped the car, ran into the street, scooped up the dog, got him to the nearest emergency hospital. And then when it was all said and done, I looked at my husband and I said, that's why. But that wasn't born out of fear with worry and anxiety. That was born out of, I got to do this and I don't know why yet. But I trusted my instincts. I'll give you an example of a time when I didn't trust my instincts. I was about to ask. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> nice. This is what it looks like when you're on a podcast talking about intuition and I don't even let you ask the questions because I'm already answering them. <laughs> Next level. <laughs> the ultimate level is I'll just do the podcast by myself because yeah. I'll know the questions. <laughs> This will be part two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so here's an example many, many, many years ago when I was not confident with myself, when I doubted myself, when I let authority take the lead when I was not living in intuition. I had a very, very, very beloved goat. Her name was Divine. And uh, she came from severe, severe trauma. We rehabilitated her. She was lovely. And then one day she couldn't walk. I had the vets come out and they looked at her and they said, well, you know, I don't know why, but it seems like she's never going to walk again. And she was happy. She was not in pain. She was not uncomfortable. We put a adorable green sweater on her and hand fed her and made sure she had a fluffy bed of straw. She had all her friends around her and every single day she had our guests come and offer her treats and cuddle with her. And she was happy. She had a smile on her face. She, her eyes sparkled. 
And then one day the vet came out and said, I'm really worried that this is, I don't know, XYZ disease. And we want to bring her into the hospital for a treatment. And I immediately had that feeling in my belly where it was a knot. My belly was a knot. My body was all tense. It, it felt wrong. And I said to the veterinarian, you know, she's so happy. She loves her life so much. Can't we just take care of her and keep her clean and like take care of her? And the vet said, no, she needs this treatment. If you don't do this treatment, then you're neglecting her. And, you know, we want to make sure that we're giving her all possibility to walk again. And every fiber of my being was screaming, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But I did not trust myself at the time. And the vet is like threatening me, telling me I'm a horrible human being if I don't, and that she's the expert and she knows what's best. And I picked up my goat and I walked her to my car and I put her in the car and every fiber of my being kept screaming, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And so I called the vet out and I said, I don't think I should do this. And the vet like started yelling at me, you have to do it, I'm the expert, you have to listen to me, blah, blah, blah. Gave away my authority, gave away my power, drove this beloved goat, happy goat to the vet, brought her into the vet, the goat's miserable, she's screaming, she's uncomfortable. The veterinarian starts the procedure and said that it's going to be a few days. So I kiss divine on the forehead, tell her how much I love her, drove away. I hadn't even arrived home yet. And the vet called me to say that she died because they gave her the wrong medication or a overdose of the medication or whatever happened. And she was happy in my barnyard. Um, thinking of her happy in my barnyard made my body feel soft and peaceful. It made me smile. Thinking of her going to that vet's office, everything in my body tightened and it felt anxious and it felt worried and it felt terrible. And I didn't then know how to trust my instincts or in the face of the expert, right? And that's what happened. And um, afterwards, thank, thank goodness for animal communication, because honestly, that story is enough for me to quit the gentle barn, close down our doors and never do this work again. But thank goodness for animal communication. I was able to talk with Divine and Divine said, um, it's okay. You know, it's never bad going home, but please, please, please use me as an example to never, ever trust distrust your instincts again. And she said, please get a heart-shaped tag with my name on it and wear it. And whenever you forget your instincts, I can remind you. And I did. Uh, I got a heart-shaped dog tag with the name Divine on it. And I wore it. This is, this is a thousand years ago, but I wore it every single day for years and years and years and years and years until I finally stopped doubting my instincts, giving away my authority to other people and uh, now I, you know, I have it and I wear it when I want to, but I, I wore it every single day for years because I never wanted that to happen again. So that's an example of when things are born out of fear, they don't feel good. When things are born out of intuition, they feel good. I got goosebumps when you said that. It's such a, I don't even have the words for it. It's such a beautiful 
sad story, which also gives hope and shows how much sometimes animals love us to teach us a lesson and to make sure we use our gifts to the most after they have left. Because the gentle barn wouldn't be the gentle barn today without your intuition and your courage to listen to your instincts and to put them to use and to have your animal communication. And I find it so heartwarming, even if it's a sad story, but heartwarming that divine, and I find even like with the name, having this divine reminder that how, what a gift and what a talent you have with your instincts and that you are also not just healing through the gentle barn, but also now with your next book, helping people to touch into their intuition and to trust their instinct. Um, this leads me to another question. In the beginning, we talked about the circle of healing. And I'm wondering what part of yourself has healed in that circle? Well, so first of all, as a child, the reason I started The Gentle Barn with combination of healing animals and healing people is because when I was a child, I went through a lot of challenges growing up, a lot of loneliness, a lot of feeling like I didn't fit in, a lot of feeling like the people around me were not like me. Um, I always loved animals. I could hear them. I felt connected to them. And the people around me just saw animals and nature as just an object that we could use and throw away uh, when we didn't want them anymore. So it was very, very confusing. Um, and the closer I got to animals, the further away I felt to humans. Um, and so it was always animals that I went to to cry and they listened. It was always animals that were there to make me feel wanted and lovable. It was always animals to encourage me to keep going when I didn't want to be here. So I know how therapeutic they are and I know how healing they are. And so my seven-year-old dream of having a big place full of animals to show the world how beautiful they are and all the lonely, hurting people of the world can come and heal with us was the second sentence. And um, I really wanted to save these animals and then I wanted to partner with them to heal people. So would you say that part in you that has healed is that you found your place where you belong? Yeah. And where, yeah. And where you don't feel different. That's a really good point. I felt so different as a child and in creating the gentle barn, I created this circle of not only animals, but people that are just like me, <laughs> right? <laughs> so our volunteers, our staff, our board of directors, our guests, they are all people that are exactly like me. So yeah, in a way I've built my community and it's really an honor to share our love of animals together. If I hadn't already my job, I would apply for one at yours. <laughs> yeah. I would hire you. <laughs> must be amazing. Um, Ellie, we usually wrap up our episode with a little pet Q&A. I've heard already your dog in the background. Could you tell us a little bit about your dog name, like maybe a little story about her or him? Yeah, so I have four dogs, but the oh, one four dogs. Hearing, yeah, no, but the one that you're hearing is little one. Okay. Um, she was left in our parking lot overnight. Someone had climbed over our fence, 
put her in a crate and put her in the middle of our parking lot in the dark of night. And we found her in the morning. She was shaking so hard. I thought she was just going to fall over. Um, she was terrified. And um, I didn't want to just grab her out of the crate because, well, I didn't want to get bit, but I also didn't want to push her too far, too fast. And so I laid in front of her crate for four hours, singing to her and talking to her and telling her who I was and telling her how beautiful she is and how I'm so happy to have her. Finally, after four hours, she let me touch her, pet her, and then pull her out of the crate into my arms. And then I spent the rest of the day just holding on to her and just kissing her and holding her. And by the time I let her go, she was mine. She followed me. Um, but you know, she was frightened of the leash. She was, didn't know how to be in a car. She didn't know how to socialize with other dogs. And so I got to share those experiences with her. And now she loves going in the car. She looks out the window the whole time. She's so like, her eyes are this big. Um, she loves going on hikes into the park, into the beach. Um, she's very playful with other dogs. Um, and now any human being in my office or in the house sits down, she's in their lap. So she has made a full recovery and she sleeps with me and she's a very good kisser. Um, I call myself her puppy because she licks me like a puppy. <laughs> like, like I, you know, she, she bathes me and I'm like, I just took a shower. I'm good. And she's like, no, 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 you need a good bath. And she gives me a good bath all over. And, um, she's, a, she's wonderful. I usually ask one question. Asking you the question is a little funny, though. If you could ask your pet a question, <laughs> what would it be? Since you're an animal communicator, it's uh, like double funny because you probably ask anyway all, all the time questions. People usually answer, you know, they want to know, do you like the food I give you? Are you happy? Like, you know, they have like, are you happy with like your bed and how we set things up and Do you like the lifestyle we are giving you? Like, what, what's one of the questions you maybe not want to ask, but did ask? I, the one question that I would ask is, I wish animals could give me more information about what the other side seems like. I've had thousands of animals describe the expansive feeling, the light feeling, the bright, powerful, strong feeling. Like I've had animals show me what it feels like on the other side. I've even had an animal describe, because I asked once, I said, I have, a, I have a fair number, not all, and not the majority, but I have a fair number of animals that say they're coming back to their people. And I've experienced a lot of reincarnation in my, mm -hmm. uh, my family too. So I even asked a client uh, once, Like the animals are saying, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to look for me. You don't have to try to find me. I'm going to try to find you. So I asked the animal, like, how does this work? I don't understand. Like, and it was fascinating. They described it like a bus line. You know how like you can look at a bus schedule and you could know if you get on this bus, you're going to get there. And if you get on this bus, you're going to get there. So basically that's what lives look like. They can look at a life and they can know where it's going to end up and they could pick one that is going to end up in front of us. And I thought that that was so cool. That blew my mind. But I wish they could tell us more about the universe. I've had animals say, don't worry about me. I'm going home. It's fine. Uh, don't worry. You'll understand one day. Everything happens for a reason. Um, there's a beautiful, and I write about this in my book, there's a beautiful mosaic And we're, when we're up close, we just see individual tiles that mean nothing. But when we step back, we can see the whole picture and it all mm -hmm. makes sense. 
but I still don't understand why things happen. I still don't understand why we come and go when we do. I don't understand why there's so much suffering and pain. Like, I just wish they could tell me even more about the way the world works. And I have tried, but they always say there are things about the universe that you'll never understand until you're crossed over yourself. And so I have to be patient, but I'm not very good at being patient. (laughs) (laughs) I I was just about to say, I read the other day, sometimes we get fearful and I'm not saying you get fearful, but sometimes we get fearful because we're trying to find the answers for questions that are not yet ours to find out. Well said. Yeah. Well said. There are answers that are not ours as long as we're on this physical plane. We will know it all makes sense one time. But while we're in this physical time, there is intelligence and knowledge that are not ours to know yet. Mm -hmm. Very well said. And you know, Ellie, I have this conversation a lot with artists. I always say, because they also want to often like understand. And I'm saying, guys, if we would understand everything, you would not have a job. (laughs) because there would be no need for music. There would be no need for poems and literature. Like all of that would not be there if we had the answers to everything and finding the beauty in the not knowing sometimes can be quite freeing. And I'm also someone that always wants to know everything, but I like sometimes what I do when I'm busy trying to finding the answers, I'm telling myself, I trust and I put my heart, my hand on my heart without knowing. And I, and then I put my other hand on my head. And I think it's such a beautiful feeling in life when we can get to the point where we're like, we're okay. Right now I trust without knowing whatever it is, you know, whether it's a meeting at cancel or something bigger why someone died, it can be like applied to any situation. Um, And then I have uh, another question. (laughs) What is one of the many reasons you're grateful for your dog or in that case for your four dogs? Oh my gosh. I, so my animals have really, really taught me about living in gratitude. And I try, like, it's just one of my intentions when I wake up in the morning is I'm going to live in gratitude today. I catch myself complaining every now and then, but I really want to live in gratitude. Um, And I'm grateful for a great many number of things. But my dogs, um, you know, I jokingly say, and it's kind of a joke and kind of a not a joke, that our animals kind of screw things up for our partners because they love us so completely and they're so excited to see us and they deal with all of our nonsense and they are so forgiving and they're so loving that they set the bar so high. Like, how are our partners ever going to compete with that? They can't. (laughs) Um, That is so funny. It's and and we do things with our animals that we don't do with any other human. I mean, I love my husband, but I don't bring him into the bathroom to pee. And (laughs) right, and yeah, you know, there are things that I that I don't share with him, and I share with my dogs. So I think I'm really grateful to experience that kind of relationship with someone, just absolute complete love with no self-consciousness, with no judgment, with no fear of rejection, with no fear of abandonment. They always choose me. Friends might come and go. Partners might come and go. People might be upset with me. I might, you know, screw up relationships, but my dogs will always love me on a level that I I don't know. I haven't found a human that will do that for me. I mean, my husband loves me. Don't get me wrong, but it's conditional, right? We get mad at each other, 
But my dogs, it's a window into a love that can only come from animals. And I'm so grateful for that. Uh, it's, I do think dogs or any kind of animal, they give us so much. But if we summarize it in one word, it's unconditional love. Anything they give yeah. us comes back to unconditional love. It's, you know, they love us, whether we look good, whether we smell good, whether, you know, like we had a bad day or not, whether we earn millions or we earn nothing, like they always love us independently. And it's just, it's so beautiful. And I also think they teach us to love ourselves more by doing that. Well, I agree with that. I mean, I know I am absolutely the best version of myself next to an animal. Mm. So they give us an opportunity to be the best versions of ourselves. It's beautiful how you say that. And could I ask you as a last question, um, what's your opinion about our podcast? Very unfiltered. <laughs> uh, this is one of the best podcasts I've ever done. I love this conversation. I don't want it to end. You say last question and I go, oh, <laughs> I don't want this to end. I want to talk to you for three more hours. Um, <laughs> this is what our culture needs. These are the conversations that us women have to have. And men, we have to have these conversations. We need to start broadening what we've what we've been taught and what we've learned to encompass more. You know, we've been taught what we can see, touch and feel is what exists and everything else doesn't exist. And that's just simply not true. There's so much more that exists. There's connections beyond the physical body. There's instincts without a written word or a spoken word. Um, there's connections to all life form that we feel in our body, whether we're conscious of it or not. Um, and I love these conversations. I love that you're on this planet with me. I love that you considered bringing me onto this podcast and I hope you'll have me back because these are the conversations that are going to help awaken all of us to love, to ourselves, to being more proactive in saving our planet and healing animals and treasuring our body. And, um, it's the future. It's where we need to go. So thank you for everything oh. that you do and for having me. Ellie, thank you so much. I must say my cup is right now so full. Like I, I feel so inspired and I love your energy. I love your positivity. I love how you're such a powerhouse and yet at the same time, very gentle and intuitive. You just embody being happy with being yourselves and really walking in your purpose and being of service. And it's just so beautiful and we'll definitely have you back latest by the time when your book gets published thank you so much and it's a wrap for today everyone if you loved the conversation as much as we did please share it with your family and your friends and don't forget to tag both ellie and us so we can keep the conversation going and we're going to see you next wednesday